Hello and welcome to Dungeoneered, a podcast dedicated to discussing Dungeons and Dragons. I'm Aaron. And I'm Josh. Let's do this. So, Josh, like always, I have absolutely no idea what we're talking about. Something about mind flares or something, but I don't know anything about them. So you're going to have to pretty much give me a basic layout on everything, because, like always, I'm clueless. You really like these rambly beginnings. Uh, yeah, I can talk about mind flares. Hey, rambly beginnings are the best beginnings. You know, you just talk until you feel like you don't want to talk anymore. Last week, like, I'm just going to say this for the people who listened. Uh, that beginning part was just horrible to edit. What, it sounds terrible when I released it, and I hated it, and I couldn't fix it. The part where you laughed a lot or what? No, you, 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 you said something, then you gave a long pause and then you said the rest of the sentence, but you said it in a different like tone of voice and whatnot. And so it has this very jarring when I cut it closer together, very jarring feeling. Listen here. Maybe it's because I'm secretly controlled by mind flare. I mean, aren't we all? Let's let's be honest. That was a good transition. You're not these days. That was Come a good on. Transition. What are you doing? Oh, man. <laughs> okay, so mind flares. So uh, last week we talked about the abolith, and this week we're talking about mind flares or illithids. They, they illithid is the technical term for them, and what they want to be called. They're very Wait, are interesting. There like, hmm? Are there like multiple groups of like are illithid like a species? It's not just mind flares. No, illith- illithid is like it's like when you find a group of people, and you're like. I'm going to call you this. And they're like, but we already have a name for ourselves. What are you talking about? Ah, uh, yes. Classic English. <laughs> we do all the time. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. They're actually very interesting mirrors of each other. The Abolith are from a time before recorded history. Their empire ruled over massive amounts of the world. While Mind Flayers are far from the far-flung future where they had an immense empire and saw the destruction of the universe and traveled back in time. Wait, what? Exactly. Wait, they 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 saw the end of the universe and then traveled back in time? Yeah, so they are they're from the distant distant future. They the first mind flayer has not been born yet in Toral. <laughs> why are they evil they like saw the end of the universe well, and they, they were like, they were oh. evil up there i mean they were they were running an evil slave empire destroying everything there and then came back to conquer here ah they were like yeah the end of the world's not how we like it we want to bring the end of the world and so then they came back anyways to do that yeah so nice. we don't even know what the end of the world was if it was just the world was the universe was running out of resources or the explosion of stars or uh, whatever it was, we don't know. But Half whatever it was was scary up. enough to bring them back in time. They they traveled back in time to get away from it. I said, I think it's the evil halfling empire. You know, they probably <laughs> the whole world mind flayers had to had to flee and go back in time. There is something about mind flayers relate that relates to halflings, but we're not there yet. If you say that's because they're easier to eat, because <laughs> they're smaller. No, they're harder. That's uh, yeah. That's just because they're lucky. Being from the future is why uh, Abolis were scared of them in the previous episode, uh, because Abolis know the origin of everything, and so that is why 
mind flares seem to just come out of nowhere because they did they have they weren't born here they just all of a sudden uh, showed up with huge armies and so i think that would actually be a really cool event to see oh or like to play out is like the the party fighting through a dungeon and they find a mad mage and he's doing all these experiments and he creates the first mind flare that would be wild that'd be crazy and then they have to like that mind flare escapes and tries to build an empire meaning while meanwhile finding that it already has allies on this world and then they kind of it would be this really weird dynamic with that that could definitely be something interesting to kind of explore i mean like i said i don't know anything about mind flares so <laughs> i don't even know if you could create one <laughs> I mean, we, we don't know. We don't know how they're born or what they came from, but we just know they haven't been born yet in Toral. You just take a real big brain and you put it, you know, in an octopus <laughs> or something, and there you go. And get, make it a and humanoid. Then the you know, just make human. it a humanoid. It's perfect. <laughs> now, mind flayers or illithids are powerful psionic humanoids that sustain themselves on a healthy diet of brains. Now, they're expecting me to comment. I'm not going to. (laughs) (laughs) Now, they don't just eat brains for sustenance. Brains also provide the knowledge of that creature that they ate. So when your creature just got ate like two sessions ago in our game, that mind flayer learned all your knowledge. Wow, it's going to make him a whole lot dumber. (laughs) 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 Seamus is... He's... (laughs) He's a, he's a special boy. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, and so they use that insight to kind of learn about the world around them as well as sustaining them. Because they only need one brain a month to survive and grow healthy. One brain a month. That's it. I mean, you know what they say. A brain a month keeps the doctor away. <laughs> I can't sure. believe I said that. <laughs> sure. Now, they're actually near extinction in uh, Toral now and will fight to the death to protect any of the homes that they have now. Now, one of the weirdest things that I discovered is that Mind Flayers lay eggs. Nice. (laughs) And it's not like a big egg or a small egg, like a chicken egg or anything. It's like uh, little salmon eggs. You ever seen little salmon eggs? Yeah, oh yeah. It's like a whole bunch of those. I just picture a bunch of mind players in like a hatchery and people are just like collecting their eggs. Well, what they do is they, they, they do it into a brine that is kind of in the middle of the community. Uh, and this brine is where the little eggs turn into tadpoles, to mind flayer tadpoles. And mind flayer tadpoles also live in the same environment as uh, the thing that rules mind flayer society, the elder brain. Ah, I know an, I know what an elder brain is, sort of. But I didn't know they were part of Mind Flayer Society or Illithid Society. Oh yeah, they they they're the the heads of the society. They're giant brains with tentacles and powerful psionics. Now, the tadpoles fight for survival in this brine, and the weak get eaten by the by the elder brain, leaving only the strongest alive. This process uh weeds out it's only like one in a thousand that actually survived this phase. Wow, that's that's a rough life. Now, for a tadpole to transform into a mind flare as we know them, 
they need an intelligent humanoid host. Typically, this is done to slaves, which Mind Flayers have. Uh, the brain is actually eaten by the tadpole. Then the tadpole attaches to the spinal column and will eventually grow into a full Mind Flayer brain inside the now empty skull of that humanoid. This process is called seromorphosis. If you want to see the horrifying process of seromorphosis, uh, look up the teaser trailer for the Baldur's Gate 3 game because that is the first time I've seen it digitally rendered. It is horrifying and gross and terrible, but also yeah, very that's, interesting. That's, that's, that's wild. That's, that's crazy. They kill humans and then put their little eggs inside like a, or a tadpole, tadpole inside their so brain. So what it does or... is they put it on its face and it decides either it crawls in through their eye or it crawls in through their ear, which is horrifying. Ah, <laughs> I'll take the ear, question mark. <laughs> it is believed that certain races are actually immune to this transformation and some are just not compatible with it. It wouldn't work on them. Hey, <laughs> halflings. Of course, this list includes halflings, but it also <laughs> yes. has giants, Kuatoa, which are like fish people, centaurs, dwarves, duragar, and gnomes. Oh, gnomes are on the list. Yeah. That's like a better. halfling ultimate competitor. No, for, no, they're not. For this process, they believe that if a creature is too big, or too small, then either the tadpole will take too long to finish the brain or finish too quickly and not have enough sustenance. Either way, both the humanoid and the tadpole would die and it would be a waste. So what you're saying is halfling brains are too small? Possibly. <laughs> that could be one of the reasons. I see. That doesn't mean they're stupid, though, because gnomes are smart. But not halflings. Uh, tadpoles are also inserted into other monsters to test what will happen. This can be a lot of fun to like play with as a DM to like just take a monster that your maybe your group has come across multiple times or one that you just really like and want to throw in your game and have them meet this weird transformed version of it that looks kind of mind flare like with all these tentacles and you could come up with some fun new monsters that way. I just pictured a rhinoceros, but instead of a horn, it just has like tentacles that droop down its face. <laughs> Don't know why. I would not put it past it was the coast to make that. Could you just imagine like a rhinoceros charging at you with like tentacles? That was a gross noise, but uh, gross. Got my bird excited. Usually <laughs> he wants those tentacles. They're good. They're like worms to <laughs> True. <laughs> so I'm not going to go into all the details on every single one of these illithid creations, but I will, I've picked a few that I want to talk about that are gross and weird and awesome. Now we're going to start with the, the basic one that most people know about. Uh, it's called a mind witness. Now the mind witness is a beholder that has undergone seromorphosis. Half of the eye stalks of the beholder turn into tentacles, and its eyes sl slightly change and kind of take on more of a pearlescent hue to them. It also loses its anti magic eye, 
and its intelligence drops a lot, but it gains an immense devotion and love for mind players. So it just makes the beholder worse. Yes, but it also makes it subservient to them. So there's there is upsides to it. True, 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 true. Now, earlier I said that gnomes are believed to be unable to be infected with Tadpole. That's only partially true. <laughs> Deep gnomes, with the assistance of a dark magic ritual, have been transformed into these horrible bug monsters called Mosgrican. They are. Yeah, I see the picture that in here. Yeah, they are incredible at stealth, but are despised by mind flayers. They're used a lot by mind flayers, but they're also despised by them because they are of their horrifying appearance and imperfections. I want to play one as a char- player character. <laughs> a deep gnome that sort of has some of its sentience left. Yeah, like one that resisted the effects, but Perhaps. still went under trans, trans, like transformation and is now like this horrible outcast. It'd be fun. That would be that would certainly be something. My origami wizard figured it out now. <laughs> now, one of the best is called the Europhion. Europhion. They are they were originally ropers. ropers. Yeah. Ropers are powerful stalagmite like creatures that use their tentacles from 50 feet away to grapple you and restrain you and and deal immense damage. And with the Ceramorphosis, uh, they become powerful psionic wielders. And whenever they hit you, they have a high chance to stun. They are very deadly and they can stun like four people around from 50 feet away. It's crazy. There's also ones called mindworms. Little <laughs> is known of the origin of mindworms, but people believe it is a combination of a purple worm and a tadpole. It just a, sounds like a horrible. Yeah, I got mindworms. <laughs> with a darker. I mean, it's huge. I mean, you know, purple worms are insanely big. They're just as big. You would know that you had mindworms. <laughs> Jeez. So these these creatures, mindworms, are horrifying, and they could also be really fun. There's really fun opportunities with them because they create things called probe worms. And these little worms that they, they create can travel like infinite distance away, even onto other planes. And they latch on and kind of absorb the energy of a person, kind of like a leech of sorts. And if they have enough time on you, they teleport you directly into the stomach of the mindworm. That is terrible. Yeah, it doesn't matter where you are, what dimension you're in, doesn't matter. If they have enough time, you're getting teleported into that mindworm stomach. And that could be miles, crap? miles away from your party. It is almost always a death sentence. Dang, that is messed up. Now, my idea for this that would be interesting, but also very dangerous, is having like uh your party go into a, a city and all of a sudden people start disappearing and you're called in to investigate and you keep finding these dead little red worms in, in all the houses and you kind of have to figure it out and do research and find what these are and and it, it would just be an interesting encounter or, or um, i can't think of the word right now mission it's a little bit of a murder mystery yeah kind of murder mystery just sort of like mystery yeah yeah it would be, That'd fun. be fun now i'm sure you're all expecting this because it's Dungeons and Dragons. So, of course, the Mind Flayers did not leave out dragons when they tried to ceramorphize monsters. They created something with a very uncreative name called a Brain Stealer Dragon. 
The scariest thing about these creatures is not the powerful tentacles they gain or the the creepiness of their appearance. It is they get an insane boost to their already high intelligence. They become so intelligent and conniving and, and malicious that they have even been known to take over when, like, if something happens to the elder brain or there's no, like, leader for this a mind flare colony, they are smart enough that they can work their way, even being a creation of a mind flare, into running the mind flare society. Yeah, these things are creepy looking. Now, whenever these tadpoles reach maturity, they're used for all these different experiments and all these different things. And the reason for that is because mind flayers fear what they become if you let them keep growing. If they grow past a certain amount of inches, they are immediately killed by the mind flayers because they are they are horrified by what it could become. Yeah, I mean, that <laughs> makes sense to me. They'd get called, rid of this thing. They're called a neothalid, and these creatures are just as malicious and hungry as mind flayers and, and all these creations they have are that love to eat brains like they do. But these things are morons. They have so low intelligence that the psychic abilities and the main power of mind flayers just doesn't work on them. And that scares mind flayers so much. <laughs> they created something too dumb that it's scary. It's too dumb that it, they can't hurt it with psychic powers. Now, that's <laughs> so funny. <laughs> if they if they encounter like if they hear rumors of one nearby, they will send like hunting parties after it. They like will not let it live. They will kill it as fast as possible before it gets too big. Now, when they traveled to our world, to our timeline, they built their armies again. They built their empire again, or at least tried to. It wasn't the same and it wasn't as big, but they built it. Now, little is known of their empire from the future, other than it was massive and powerful. But their, before I can explain their conquest on Toral and, the, and our current timeline, I have to explain a little bit about the planes. In D&D, the planes are arranged in a physical way, where there are the inner planes, like the different elemental planes, the Feywild, Shadowfell, and the material plane, of course. Then there are the outer planes, which are oriented based on their alignment. On the top, the upper planes are good planes. The lower planes are the evil planes. The ones on the left planes are planes of law. The right is planes of chaos. Before the Mind Flayers left their world, their timeline, they had a powerful empire with powerful ships called Nautiloids. They have used these ships to cross planes and they use them to travel back in time. These nautiloids are so advanced that it gave them such an upper hand that they were able to take over all of the inner planes. So all the elemental planes, the Shadowfell, the Feywild, and the Material Plane, and a lot of the Astral Sea. That was how large their empire became. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. And if you want to see a really cool, uh, I keep mentioning Baldur's Gate 3, but that's just because it's, an amazing D&D video game and they keep animating things that I love. So like they... eating brains. <laughs> <laughs> nice. No, uh, the nautiloids. So these ships, they kind of <laughs> look like snail shells with these tentacles coming out of them. 
and they look so cool and so well animated in the trailers for Baldur's Gate 3. It's so cool. Yeah, I've never been a fan of Nautiloid ships. To me, they just look like giant snails that fly. Oh, like if you look at like the old art, it definitely looks like that and looks silly. But the way that they did it in Baldur's Gate 3 trailer looks so cool. And the way that they can have the whole like inner of the ship working, if you play some of the game actually, you're in it for a bit. You kind of like see how it works inside and it just feels right. It feels mind flayery. It all just works beautifully. Yeah, I mean, the art that I see on the internet is literally just like a, a snail with tentacles. Well, I mean, flies. Nautiloid, I, I didn't know this, but Nautiloid, until I researched it, Nautiloids are actual like fossils that we found. Yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah. And so they, they literally based it like one to one off of that design. Now, during this time of taking over all of the inner planes in the Astral Sea, they were consuming world after world after world, eating and procreating all of its and all of its humanoid inhabitants. And this allowed them to grow to immense strength and gr- gain immense knowledge. But just like the Abolists, their empire were destroyed by a sla- by slaves. The slave revolt for the Mind Flayers were the Gith. Ah. The, the Gith had been Mind Flayer thralls for so long that they even forgot what their race was called. The Gith are named Gith because a person named Gith, the, the female leader that kind of like helped lead this revolt, that's why they, na- they named themselves after her. And once they had freed themselves from the Mind Flayers which they kind of didn't explain how they got the upper hand and how they were able to defeat them, but they were. And when they did, half of them were like, okay, we're free. Let's go live in peace. Let's let's find a place that they can't get us. And then the other half were like, no, 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 no. We got to crush them. Make sure they never come back. And they kind of split off into the two groups, Gith Zarai and Gith Yankee. Now, the Githyanki, they are the ones that then were led by the same person who freed them, Gith. She kept leading the Githyanki. And they went and they crushed like every Mind Flayer enclave or fortress or just any place of power for the Mind Flayers. They crushed it and destroyed, leaving as little as possible. And only half did that because the other half left. Yeah. Now, under this heavy persecution, the Mind Flayers ran into the Underdark, where they are today. The Underdark protects them from the the rest of the retribution of the Githyanki, even though some of them still explore down there to try and destroy as many Mind Flayers as possible. But they continue to grow in strength every day, and they hope to once again rule in a powerful empire like they did in the old days, and like they know, even though they don't live forever, they know of the empire to come that's ominous yeah so uh aaron i was thinking we could focus more on a specific topic after after last week we kind of rambled a bit and so the idea of building an empire like like the uh mind flayers had and kind of just thinking how to homebrew that and how to how to think of that and make it real so my first thought would be uh, for us to think about in maybe even use a lot of stuff we learned is how how does a empire become all powerful like that? They have to have something that gives them the edge. So what are some things that 
could be used to give an empire the edge if you wanted to create this all massive empire? Well, the first thing that kind of instantly pops up into my mind <clears throat> would be like a like an all knowing type thing where like even like your PCs or like your like normal humanoids can like feel this sense of something is watching or something is observing them. So like if you were to play a D&D game, even with planes or planets type thing, there's something that is actively observing and watching like their plane and their planet and always have this kind of sense in the back of people's mind to help give like a to help give an awareness to what this empire is, but then also give that empire immense power for them like observing. So if you know that this empire is watching you, that already gives like this huge immense power to something that people wouldn't necessarily either a know about b um, want to know about <laughs> um, or even like c giving something your players can interact with. So this like overwhelming sense that there is something that knows what you're doing. I really liked uh, how you did it in your game for that kind of a thing, how you had the um, the empire. What were they called? Yeah, so I have um, an empire in my game that's a hive mind. Um, so they have an official name. They're called Tyrus, and they're a hive mind, essentially. But they kind of go by um, the dynasty in my game. And the dynasty, dynasty has like what this. It was. Yeah, the dynasty have their leader is an all knowing. He's called the all knowing emperor, and he knows all the collective knowledge of everybody in the empire um, because they're a hive mind. And so he can distribute that information to people that he wants. Um, and then it gives this overwhelming sense of when the players meet him or can hear him in their minds, he can overwhelm them with this sense of knowledge. Um, like, and he can essentially read their mind i guess you would say like learn the knowledge they have in their mind um and that just kind of immediately puts at least my players on edge because they don't like it when their mind is read <laughs> so yeah. especially without like their consent so like immediately that like kind of puts them on the back burner of like we don't like this guy at all he's terrible and evil yeah um, i was particularly so, yeah, thinking kind of how the, the dynasty does it the way that you had the dynasty that they kind of are are unique and their physiology and how they were able to take on like the shapes of the coins and whatnot. And he was able to have eyes pretty much in your pocket. If you didn't know that it was an on, it was a dynasty coin. Yeah. So they, how they reproduce is they corrupt living beings. Um, and they're, they were experimenting kind of like the mind flayers. They're experimenting with corrupting non-living objects. And so they started to be able to corrupt non-living objects. And then essentially they became spies. So they would like corrupt your money. And they would you would literally have a dynasty member in your money, um, listening to your conversations, listening to things you were talking about, and that kind of stuff, or like on your sword. Yeah, Matt so, Colville. The only way that that can be removed. Matt Colville talked about a uh, these red coins that he started to give to, like he's they started to come across his players, and like he had this whole really cool encounter where they first meet this dude, and whenever somebody died around these red coins the this person who is looking for dead bodies to kind of like use in experiments would just show up because they were killed around these red coins he knows and so it's this horrifying figure where he gives you more red coins for these dead bodies and eventually the players started to figure out oh that's what it is that's what's causing this but it's this kind of feeling of oh no is he gonna show up is he gonna show up and then yeah you're getting paid but you don't want to help this dude <laughs> He's the bad guy. 
but he's also way more powerful than you. And like your dynasty leader, there's just this feeling of knowledge and immense power that you're like, I can't. We, we're too low level. We can't stand up against this person. Yeah, my party had a very similar moment because the dynasty in my campaign was introduced like very, very early, but subtly. Um, so they were kind of introduced probably by session. Well, technically session one, but they were introduced very early just to get this kind of oh yeah like type of moment later in the campaign but um about halfway through the campaign they ended up trying they're they were essentially trying to defeat what are pretty much called great hearts which are parts of the dynasty that corrupt cities um so they would grow these huge beings underneath a city in order to corrupt the entire thing and destroy it and so the party found out that if they were to get the heart before it could grow they could stop the corruption from happening and so when they first went to go fight one of these hearts, um, they found essentially along with the heart, this like massive sludge um, and a ton of like coins and random objects that were kind of around it. And they kind of eventually with those kind of clues pieced together that they were trying to corrupt everyday items. Um, and so they ended up like finding these everyday items that they had on their person that was that were corrupted. And so that was kind of a cool moment. Yeah, that is cool. Now, what would an empire do if they had this immense knowledge? How would they use that to their advantage? Well, if I use my campaign, they're pretty much trying to take over the world to save the world, if that makes sense. Could you elaborate? Yeah. So, for example, because they're all knowing, um, because the all knowing emperor knows like everything, he knows that there is a demise that is setting upon the material plane that is coming to destroy all planes. And he's trying to unite everybody under his sole empire, his like single hive mind so that they can all become unified and fight this force that's coming. Hmm. So that introduces this whole like, well, do the players want to kill this guy? Cause he's actually trying to stop the bad, the real bad guy, but he's also a terrible person. Cause he's like corrupting human flesh. Like he's like actively enslaving people essentially and forcing them into his hive mind. So it's created this, like, what do we do about this whole thing? Yeah, that was, uh, yeah. I, I remember I told you about this. Um, Fable three had that kind of thing. And, spoilers if you haven't played fable 3 yet but it's it's been out a while so but uh they'll hold that your brother is this evil evil king and you're so you're kind of like what are you doing and whatnot and eventually you have to escape because he's trying to kill you and when you come back you're able to overthrow him and finally live up to all these promises you made along the game of oh yeah i'll lower your taxes i'll treat you well and do all these things and you realize, and he even tells you, is he wasn't doing this to be evil. He was doing this because he needed a certain amount of money to make sure he had enough troops and enough supplies to save everyone. And yeah, everyone hated him, but it was the only solution he could see to save them. And so you kind of have to decide is how, how do you want to do this? Do you want to continue the same way your brother did where, yes, you'll have enough money to save everyone, but everyone's going to hate you and you're going to be a tyrant. Or do you find some other way to succeed? Which, if you're if you hold all your, if you uh, get do all your promises and lower taxes and all these things, you visibly watch as your gold gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So you have like nothing left, and then you have to use all of like your own money if you want to save as many people as you can. Yeah, I like that kind of dynamic because it like yes, there is an evil in front of you, but there's also like this worse evil that's behind it. And so it kind of creates this huge dilemma for especially player characters. Like, what do we do? 
So my my players are currently trying to make peace with the dynasty and like stop them from corrupting, but then join forces to defeat this evil. So they're currently planning like a whole peace, like this whole peace talks that are overseen by another nation. Um, so that's kind of where my campaign's headed. <laughs> nice. That's kind of where mine's at right now. We, there, there was this uh, oncoming war between certain my world splits gods and primordials and has all these the very complex stuff. But the primordials are the main rulers on I main gods on the continent that they are currently having their campaign. And there are some like demigods and whatnot that are still allowed on this on this continent. And one of the demigods, one of the, the what do they call them? Not the minor gods. So it's not as powerful. It's not as weak as a demigod, but not as powerful as a major god. They are working with two primordials to kind of help bring change to the world. And the only way they saw of doing it was this all-out war that was going to have to happen. And then there was the other group, which just wanted things to continue the way they are. And so they're currently working on getting the two groups together for peace talks instead of choosing a side as that was what they wanted to do. And I, I love when, when uh, players do that, where they're like, why don't we just work for peace? Why don't we try? Why does it have to be A or B? Let's find another way. Yeah, that's kind of what my players have done. And it's interesting because I'm not, I'm still not as a dungeon master, a hundred percent sure how the dynasty is going to take peace talks. Um, <laughs> because they're very firm in their belief that they're the best way to stop this incoming doom, essentially. So yeah, yeah actually, I'm not sure what's my... going to happen. <laughs> yeah, with my group, uh, if any of you are listening, uh, this is spoilers, so don't keep listening. They were unsure. They really like they because they they understand the meta side of it, and they're like, "Oh, it's like, is this okay? Is this gonna destroy the big bad of your of your uh, your campaign and make it all kind of not work?" And I was like, "No, no, no, I got this," because one of the gods of the 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 minor god, they are actually trying to start a war. They had this whole fake idea of peace that they were promoting and getting a group together to help them, but in reality they wanted to weaken all the primordials so that they could be the top dog of this continent now. And so they're they're really mad that the group is now working against that. And one of the group is actually their their son. And so there's this whole dynamic of him trying to get the party on his side, but also not real, realizing that they're good people and they're not going to go for his evil plan. And so he's going to be the big bad in the end of, of he's going to kind of going to rage when they do build peace because both sides want peace except for him. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that is kind of how my campaign is playing out is that the dynasty, they want, they want, they don't want to fight or be peace, but they want to corrupt everybody peacefully. <laughs> so like, let us just do our thing and take over, you know, don't fight us with this because we're the best possible way. But yeah, they uh, they understand the problem that is coming. Um, so it's interesting to see what's going to happen for sure. Yeah. But um, with kind of making this empire, um, I also thought about like maybe switching alignments up a little bit from mind flares. So they were once like really terrible and really evil, but because they gained so much fast knowledge and are aware of something greater than themselves, like like an impending doom, they are now coming as these like not but fortune tellers, I guess you could say, um, like the remnants of a shattered empire or, you know, like they're coming as like the forewarning to this evil that's happened, which would be kind of a fun way to play it out too. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting idea with the, with the idea of mind flayers being kind of seeing something that is so 
frightening to them that they have to get assistance with it. That's actually really cool. I would want them to not be so different from classic mind flayers. I would want them to be the same, but just have that fear. Like that's the one thing keeping them good quotation marks or allies at least. Yeah. Is that yeah. I mean that thing. I mean you could also play it as you could do something different where like they're now invading your plane to take all of its resources so that they can fight whatever is coming. And that could be another interesting way you could use it too. Or like these mind flares start. Yeah, they come to consume and learn all the knowledge of your planet for the ability to fight this thing. Right. So this ancient mind flare empire comes to invade and take over your planet for its knowledge and its resources in order to fight and try to save the galaxy or whatever, or the, you know, the planes, you know, anything like that would be really fun to play too. Yeah, there would. Then it would like, there'd be an immediate threat of mind players attacking, but then also in the background, you're still partially aware of something worse. Now with the mind flayer empire attacking, what's something that could be like the worst thing? What do you mean? Like it's leader? No, I mean like the, what they're scared of. What can we think of that would scare a mind flayer so much? <laughs> I mean, the best thing I could think of would be something like Hadar, like, you know, changing some sort of ancient god or ancient entity yeah, and putting it in your campaign. Um, yeah, that would be a good one. I mean, yeah, Hadar. That could be, yeah, that would just be, that, that, that'd be the first thing that I would think of is like, you know, changing that. I mean, you could make it another empire if you wanted, but that might be, get too empire-y, you know, like yeah. we're running from an empire. I would, I, if I was going to choose, I would probably do an, an Atropole, which is something you probably don't know of. Um, nope. <laughs> it is like uh, a deceased god that died when it was still a fetus. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, it's they're horrifying. They look so gross and so terrible. They, it was in Tomb of Annihilation. Uh, spoilers, if you're playing that, I guess the main char- the main villain of that has his his staff that he's using to draw the life essence out of anybody who's been revived, the soul monger. And he's using this powerful staff to try and like feed and grow and reinvigorate this atropole, which has been drifting in the astral sea for years and years and years and years and years. Yes. Yeah. That, that could be a really fun thing to do. Essentially. That'd be, that'd be a super fun idea too. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could also do like a classic like demons are coming type thing if you wanted to or, you know. Yeah, it's a good one. I, I mean, there's some yeah. fun demons to play with, too. Right. So like you could do that. You could do all sorts of different stuff. But anything that I mean, Mind Flayers, I mean, Illithids in at least in 5e, they're only like a challenge rating seven. So, you know, like they're not like super strong in the game anyways. Well, yeah, but you also got to think that they have these brain stealer dragons and they have these mind witnesses and all these creations they can make it's pretty easy to level them up to a hard encounter for high level parties that would be fun they created something so evil and so powerful (laughs) that they have to run away from it and now it's coming to consume that's beautiful the other world so they created like the ultimate brain stealer dragon or whatever you know like something so terrifying that even they have to run from it now. They, yeah, they combined it, which maybe we combine the ideas and do like, they combined it with an atropole or something they found in the astral sea 
that they like then created this and... god. Oh, oh my! Yeah, they, they captured with an the god and, and they literally make Cthulhu. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, they and literally now just make Cthulhu, and they're like, uh, <laughs> crap! What did we just do? Yeah, and now they're running from it, or they're trying to invade your plane to get knowledge and resources to try and turn and fight it. Either of those would work really well. <laughs> that is good. That's good. Uh, that would for sure definitely give you a sense of something ominous is coming in the background, especially <laughs> if they were to like inform you that, you know, something has been created that they can't, you know, they can't deal with or destroy. <laughs> now, it would be really interesting if like early on in your campaign, you're doing like they're doing small stuff so that it's way before like the mind flayers actually start attacking or before they start even hearing about that type of stuff. They're doing all this stuff to uh, help people and whatnot. And they maybe they get an underwater mission or they get a mission to some other like group of, of monsters or whatnot. And they like, they either meet like the Avalith or they meet some powerful group and they, they arrive there and there's a bunch of mind flayers. They're talking with the group. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Just like you could have some interesting encounters to kind of build the suspense of, this is not how mind flayers work. What's going on? I mean, you could even do like, you could even like play with the idea of like nautiloid spaceships and they see some sort of figure way up in the sky, you know, like early in the campaign or something, but they just couldn't quite, like, it looked like something with tentacles that was like flying through the sky. You could even do something like that. That was just like a hint, you know, like what the yeah. heck was that? But they couldn't see what it was or, you know, like anything yeah, it's, like that. It's, it's the hard thing with some campaigns is like, the moment you point anything out like that, where you're not just like, you don't describe the sky every time today you are. It's like very obvious that there's something there that. Yeah. But then you just shelve it for like 30 sessions, you know, like you just shelve it for a very long time and never come back to it. Yeah. All the research becomes dead ends. You just like start occupying them with other things that they need to be doing. And then all of a sudden bring it back. And they're like, wait, we saw that at the very beginning, you know? Yeah. Cause that's something similar that I did in my campaign. Um, but in that, yeah, you had also that fun like, jousting tournament. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was, yeah, that was also that early too, where they fought a dynasty. Member in a jousting thought it would. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they fought a dynasty member in a jousting tournament. One of the, like one the, of the spies who was like, or like Prince. He, he was, was like one of, he level. was so, yeah. So in the dynasty, there, there are people called princes. Um, there's three of them and they're, they're not, they're not actually princes. It's just their title. Um, they're they're just like high ranking members of the dynasty. They're just like these powerful warriors. And I, one of my players, my knight, he was entering a jousting tournament, and he scored a natural twenty on the joust, um, the final point. And if you know anything about jousting rules, if you knock your opponent off their horse, then you get their armor or their horse. Um, so he knocked, and he ended up knocking him off his off his horse <laughs> with a natural 20 and he beat. So essentially how I had the rule set is that if you're, if your number was a certain number higher than the number they rolled to joust you, um, then you would have to roll like saving throws and stuff. And so he rolled a saving throw and rolled awful for it and fell off his horse. And so he got his armor at the very beginning of the game. And that's been like a whole theme. Like this guy at the black Prince is what he's called. They've been chasing him and following him for the entire campaign since that joust. And they got that in their first meeting with him. They got yeah, the upper then, hand, which is yeah. crazy. Well, and how that turns out. It's a really interesting dynamic that most campaigns stay away from is where it's 
Like most most times it's like the enemy gets the upper hand in the first battle and that kind of leads this whole thing. But in that it's the they got the upper hand and then they realize, oh, wait, he's bad. Yeah, well, they so that shortly led to them that formed this. They hated each other. They essentially became rivals. Right. And like a few sessions later, they moved to one of the this town called Junction, which is essentially this like tent city of traders. Um, like just a huge market city essentially is what it is. Just everybody from it's where all the trade routes kind of connect together to go to different cities and they have formed this permanent market. They found the black prince buying slaves because the dynasty was buying slaves to corrupt and turn them into dynasty members to get an initial like foothold. And so they found him buying slaves. And so they entered this huge bidding war with the black prince to try and buy the slaves that he was trying to buy. And he was trying to buy essentially baby gods. (laughs) Um, There were these two figures, which they ended up saving that were, I mean, not baby gods. They're kind of like Asimar, but I don't remember their exact title in D and D, but anyways, that's irrelevant, but they ended up like in this huge bidding war with them. (laughs) And so they ended up beating him again, but he escaped. Um, Anyways, but it was just like, it's just a fun thing to have that reoccurring villain just pop in. And then all of a sudden it expands to this huge greater empire that they had no idea even existed. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I was, (laughs) I enjoyed hearing about that when you first talked about that. Ah, It's been a wild ride. (laughs) (laughs) It really has where you're at now. Now for an empire, an important part to think about is hierarchy, which yours has that really interesting hierarchy of the guy in charge is the one who knows everything. So there's pretty much never going to be any sort of uprising or problem with his servants or his people because he has all of the power. Yeah. I mean, not only does he have all the power, but he has the ability to like see through other people's eyes. So because he's a hive mind, he can tap into their senses and see what they're seeing. So if he knows, for example, the black prince is going to be fighting the party, he can watch the fight through the black prince's eyes and gain knowledge that way as well. So he can like tap in and enter into this like sensory state to oversee his hive mind. So it makes him even more deadly. Yeah. Yeah. But it also, I wanted to create an empire that the players felt like they could defeat because it can be really daunting for players to be like, Oh, there's this huge empire that we have to defeat. How are we going to defeat it? But because I made it a hive mind, if they're able to destroy the leader, the hive mind crumbles and dies. So it gave them a direct goal in going to find the leader of the hive mind and kill him. Yeah. And so how I did that is essentially all the previous hive mind leaders had when they die, their heart turns into what is a great heart, which is how they corrupt cities. And if you go and collect all the great hearts, you can turn it into a weapon, I guess you would say, that is needed to kill the current leader of the hive mind. So they have to find all these items first, then go and kill the hive mind. Oh, interesting. What heart level are they at now? They're level 16 right now. I was I was meaning like heart, like how many hearts? Oh, together? yeah, they're on two of four. Nice. And with yeah, with each heart. So how how it works is with each heart that you get. Um, so essentially, when you first get a heart, you have this overwhelming urge to crush it because when you crush it, you gain part of its strength. So you can up like ability scores when you crush it. The problem is if you crush it, you can no longer create that weapon. So they had to fight this urge to not crush it and gain its power. Um, and so they have to make like wisdom saving throws every once in a while. And the more hearts you get, the more the, the urge increases to crush the heart. Um, so wait, what, so, what happens if they crush one of these hearts? 
So if they crush a heart, they can no longer form the weapon needed to create to kill the um the leader. And so then what they have to do is they have to go and kill like the birth queen and his like lower groups and then capture essentially capture the leader of the dynasty and have him like essentially disband the hive mind. So it, they can still do it. It's just a, a roundabout way. Mm-hmm. So they have to become more creative than we're just going to go grab these and go and kill them. It is now like, well, shoot, we crushed these hearts. Now we have to figure out a new way to destroy the hive mind. And so the hive mind has one massive central heart that controls the all-knowing emperor, essentially. So it's the souls of everybody within the, in the hive mind that he's directly connected to. And if they kill that and destroy that, then he's also dead. Um, so, yep. That's cool. And it's it's nice that there's a... That, that's something that many new DMs are uh, should be aware of, is that when you're creating something like that, where it's they have to create this weapon to destroy this thing, there's always a chance that the players will fail. You're rolling dice, <laughs> you're having issues. There's always a chance. Always think of some secondary way they could accomplish their goal. Yep. So if they kill, so if they kill the the souls of the hive, essentially, which is what the all knowing emperor is guarding, then the hive itself dies, but the all knowing emperor remains. Um, so they would have to like capture him and keep him in prison or something. Um, so he wouldn't be able to be killed, but they could still succeed in their mission of destroying the the um, empire. They would also have to destroy the what's called the birthing queen, and she's like the main queen of how how they reproduce. Um, so kind of like a like an ant, essentially. She's the main queen of how they like corrupt things and reproduce. So the dynasty has two ways of corrupting. It's either through living flesh or non-living flesh. So they can essentially take dead things and revive it with their corruption, or they can take living things and turn it into um, turn it into themselves. So they have to kill the birthing queen who can birth and create new creatures out of non-living flesh. So just add another step, but still doable. Yeah. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I have a lot of it. It's it's a huge document of the dynasty. They're they're a massive. It's nice that you. That, I mean, like you just took from nature there, kind of that. Yeah. The hive yep. queen, the ant queen. They're required for procreation and whatnot. And yeah, that's partially how it started. I wanted to make it a hive that was reliant on like essentially the singular queen that would like birth and create different, different like mini queens. Like, so there's the dynasty it's, it would take forever to get into, but the dynasty has um, these creatures that go out and corrupt living flesh and then and bring dead flesh back to the queen. Um, so the queen, she only converts dead flesh, but she has these little, like not minions, but princesses, I guess you would say that go out and like collect and also corrupt living flesh. So you have to kill all of those to destroy the hive if you didn't kill the, the king. So, yeah, that's an interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, that's that, that's a beautiful way of creating things is just look at something in nature or something that you like, some hierarchical structure or something and being like, I want to create something around that and then just let it build kind of snowball it from there. And you can come up with some amazingly intricate things that just started as Hey, I like how this works. Yeah, that that's literally how they started was I was like, I want to make literally an insect hive, but I don't want them to be insectoids. I don't I just want them to be like, you know, like mysterious figures. And so I ended up coming up with this whole like they're obsidian skinned um, because their 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 skin 
their whole entire body is made of like this sludge, this corrupted, this corrupt sludge that they essentially place into living and non-living flesh to corrupt it. Um, and so when you kill them, you never kill them fully. They turn into this like pile of sludge that can move. And so they, you have to like kill it with radiant energy in order to get rid of it totally. So that's been a fun thing for the party to learn also. It's like the first time they killed the Black Prince, he got away because he melted into like the sludge and he escaped because they didn't know about it until they found him again later on. <laughs> They're like, why are you alive? Um, so yeah, it was a really fun, really fun way of doing things. Yeah, I really, I really like looking at other things. There are a lot of, whether it's hobbies or different different other tasks that you have to complete or things that you do where they have kind of a refined way of this is how you start. This is the middle. This is the end. And one of the nice things about world creation is it doesn't have to be that way. Like there is no, you have to start with an empire. You have to start with this. You can start anywhere. And if you, if you try to start with a whole bunch, like it gets overwhelming quickly. And so just starting with, like, I, I started with, I really like giants. They're not really that many of them in D&D. That's so funny. What if, I started what if there was a, what if there was a main, like, what if one of the continents that was the main inhabitants were giants? And so I did that. And then I thought, why did this island, why does this continent have giants instead of humans? Like, why did the gods make giants here? And I was like, what if it wasn't the gods? What if it was something else? And so then I created these primordials. And then I thought, how? who are these primordials in relation to the gods? And then it just it just builds and builds and builds from there. And you don't have to you don't have to know everything or start in the same place as everybody else. There's so many places you can start that then just snowball into whole huge things. Well, yeah, my campaign started with halflings. So essentially. The dynasty had been did. working. Oh, mm-hmm. of course. Did. Did. I know. I know. I know. I'm so proud of it. <laughs> but uh, my campaign started with a group first, of I think that, hold on. I just got to point out, it's, we're nearly done with the recording. I think that was the first chirp I've heard. Yeah, she's been eating. She's been eating her favorite She's treat. a good girl. She's been a very good girl. Good old Nutriberries. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I started with a group of halflings that had been corrupted because they went insane because the dynasty had infiltrated um, the the nation of Astol, which is the nation they started in. And some high-ranking members of Astol were developing this spell to mind-control people to give them to the dynasty. But the, the ancient magic spell that they were developing failed and created this group of halflings that became cannibals and insane. And they were exiled and forced to... They didn't want to like murder them or kill them because they didn't know, first of all, that they were cannibals. But they they were like, we just need to hide and cover up our mistake. So they ex- exiled them from the city and they went out into the country and became these cannibal halflings. And that's where my game started <laughs> with them killing these cannibal halflings. And it all tied into the main campaign. But it just started with that one little group in a tiny little town. That's another thing. Um, the idea of having the very first enemy or like the level one adventure somehow tying into the rest of the world in a really cool way like Matt Kova had a had a really good idea which I used in my first campaign is that if there are a bunch of these not now but maybe could be big bad evil guys all these people that are level one adventures that are trying to be these huge empires or whatever 
they all are trying to build connections, same as any political group is. Like, you try to build these friendships and build these allies. And so he suggested in your first adventure, have whoever the boss is, like, in whatever his library is or his room or whatever, have, like, notes or letters from other or even documentation about, like, maybe he met them and he just kind of wrote a little thing about, I don't trust this person or whatever. And just having these little connection points to other stories in your world, it doesn't even have to like tell the party where to go. Or even if you don't have it like fully fleshed out, it doesn't even have to like say that much. But just having it all have this living, breathing feeling by connecting it together really helps with immersion and creating this really cool world. Yeah, with the halflings, they ended up. So the guy who was in charge was called Brabus Applebottom. So he was like the head, he was the head of the clan. That essentially, is a he's very halfling. halfling name. <laughs> yeah. And so he was this like, because of the insanity, he ended up consuming and eating so much food that he, he became huge. So he became like almost as tall as a giant and like really fat and he couldn't move. And um, essentially he was their, the main boss. They had to fight at level one or level two. But when they killed him, after they killed him in his his group, they found like a journal written by him. So it started off by this, essentially these writings about a normal halfling who grew up in Haran, which is like the capital city. And essentially he came under the effects of this like insanity spell that slowly turned him mad. And so the writings of his journal went from like being normal, like just like everyday life as a noble, as like this noble family, and then slowly going insane over time. Um, so the party could like read and see how he went in like his descent into madness, essentially. I just and so love that those immediately, journals. Those descent into madness journals. I love those. I know. Yeah, they're amazing. And so like with the descent into madness journals, essentially they were able to like connect like 40 sessions later that Estol has been putting people under this insanity spell to like gain and control their mind in order to give them to the dynasty because the dynasty had infiltrated the government of Estol. So they were essentially mind-controlling people to give them to the dynasty. And so that's how I introduced this massive empire just with like a small journal of an insane halfling who didn't get mind-controlled and the spell had failed because it was in its original developing stages. Yeah, that's... that's Yeah. That's good. That's good. Well... Yeah, really fun. Well, this has been a, a good episode of Dungeoneered and uh, I look forward to editing it. I'm going to try some new techniques so you might hear that this episode is going to sound different than the ones before it hopefully it sounds better if it sounds terrible hit us up on twitter to let us know i think it's going to sound better but we'll see less parrot <laughs> less yeah, bird a lot less parrot now thank you for listening see you next time am i supposed to say something yeah normally Bye. yeah okay yeah. that works that works Thank you.